0: Game over! Featuring in depth conversations on sci fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all! So say we all! And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. There was an escape from the off world colonies two weeks ago. Six replicants. I need you, Dex. I need the old Blade Runner. replicants are like any other machine they're either a benefit or a hazard if they're a benefit it's not my problem i'm rachel Deckard. they were designed to copy human beings in every way how can it not know what it is commerce is our goal here in tyrell more human than human is our motto If only you could see what I've seen. What seems to be the problem? I want more life. It's too bad she won't live. But then again, who does? More human than human is our motto. I've... Seen things people wouldn't believe. Hi, everybody, and welcome once again to Geek Fest Rants. My name is Carlos Peron, and today we are going to be discussing. Flying cars. This is something that eh, you might experience every now and then on sci-fi movies. But this time around, we are going to really kind of dive into it and figure out the best examples that we've seen, as far as films goes, and how would they actually work if all of a sudden you snap your fingers and they're here. How would the infrastructure, the rules, the technology of creating a world of flying cards would actually function all right so let's get started what did i teach you you are the duke of new york you're a number one you will not laugh you will not cry you will learn by the numbers i will teach you can you dig it open the pod bay doors Hal. i'm sorry dave i'm afraid i can't do that That Horn of Satan. Oh, really? The Force will be with you, always. Recently, the topic of flying cars has kind of come up again in terms of genre movies. A couple of years ago, You know, there was that whole thing about how we reached the year of Back to the Future 2, which would have been 2015. And it was one of those moments where everybody got to kind of analyze, all right, you know, have we reached the level of, you know, futurism that is depicted in that movie? And this is something that happens, obviously, with many, many movies where time basically passes, whatever it is that people were theorizing. and, And most of those... Things never really happen. (laughs) Well, recently we had yet another one of these kind of milestones, and that is with the movie Blade Runner. Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner, takes place in 2019. So we are definitely not in Blade Runner kind of technology. Granted, you know, Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner, at least, um, you know, the world is a pretty devastated, uh, ecologically injured world, and technology kind of adapts to it as much as possible but one of the amazing things about blade runner you know the 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 futurism you know Syd Mead I think created a lot of that concept design work and how the world would function and one of the most iconic things of blade runner is the car the the flying car the the spinner now again flying cars is nothing new and there is a bazillion examples of flying cars, I would say probably in science fiction, and even something as silly as the Jetsons. I mean, if you think about it, the Jetsons, everybody's got their flying cars that you press a button it turns into a suitcase. But what I want to talk about today is the most modern examples of what a flying car would look like and behave and interact there are many examples in, in, in modern films, if you will. Blade Runner, again, being the one of the best ones. Because, you know, with Blade Runner, the magic of that film is that it was pre-CGI. Everything is practical or optical. So, yes, you do have to, in certain shots, kind of like say, all right, you know, I can kind of see the, the wires that are holding the car together. But... You know what you kind of go with it anyway because it is so damn good the way it's made but the interesting thing about the the idea of a flying car at least for that movie is that yes it's a car that could be used as a car you know it has wheels it is capable of rolling around the city and the city is completely full of normal cars somewhat retrofitted you know for the environment You know, which also makes them look a little more futuristic. But there's a clear delineation, if you will, when it comes to this particular structure of society, the Blade Runner society. And you do get a little bit of this also with Blade Runner 2049. But obviously everything starts with the original Blade Runner. And that is that in this particular world, the concept of a flying car is... Not exactly the Jetsons. Not only is it not a very happy world, but it's kind of rare that you see these cars. Rare in terms of... Because of the structure of the story, you know, Earth is more or less a dying planet. Some of these cities are so polluted, only the rich and lucky are able to escape the cities and go off-world. You know, there's apparently colonies in other planets, I imagine. Unfortunately, the, the poor and the, the less connected are the ones that get stuck, you know, still living in these slums and really rough-looking cities. And it would appear as if this technology, because there's not a lot of it to go around in a massive consumer scale, if you will, is then relegated to only, let's say, for example, emergency vehicles like the police and to a certain extent i imagine the very wealthy you do get a little bit of that in both films you picture somebody like tyrell having access you know to that kind of technology especially in the second film the second film you do get more of the 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 yes these these guys you know they have access to this technology so in blade runner because the technology is not so crazy mass-produced. When they do show you the the landscape, and it's, it's usually, it's, I mean, it's beautiful, the night Los Angeles streets from the air view, and you see certain little lights floating around in the air. It is not a massive Los Angeles type of, you know, commuting system all up in the air. You're basically seeing... The police, the police are the only ones really with these, um, with these sort of vehicles. Now you could imagine, yeah, possibly under that structure, you, you might have, you know, ambulances or, or fire trucks, you know, emergency vehicles, basically being the ones that are using this kind of transportation system. Okay. That's interesting. It, it, it could work, I guess, you know, not a lot. You, you, I would imagine you still have planes flying, you know, way, way higher, but That gives us a a little glimpse of what it might look like. Then you have another movie like, for example, Back to the Future. Specifically Back to the Future 2. And the reason why I would focus on Back to the Future 2 more is because when you do have the sequence where Marty does travel to the future, there are a few shots of him arriving in what appears to be a Sky Highway Now, granted, it happens at night, it's raining, so it's kind of very quick and you don't get to see too much of it. But what's interesting about that shot is that you do see these markers, these floating markers. So it's more like in this envisioning of what future floating, you know, flying car traffic looks like, they've gone as far as to designate air areas where Become your lanes, your lanes of traffic, because now you're dealing with mass traffic or mass transit, possibly mass transit also. But you don't get a lot of it. You just get a little of it. And, you know, you do, you do get some shots of cars landing and that sort of thing. And obviously the the DeLorean is the car that you see in all three films. But the DeLorean is really a visitor to, to these time points that we see in all three movies. So the DeLorean landing and coming up is a sole standalone vehicle. I'm more interested in what a world perceived to already be involved in transportation, flying transportation, being a normal thing. So you do get a tiny little bit of it. And there is a shot, yeah, where you see these, uh, basically what it looks like is hovering markers. They just hover in around the clouds, let's say, up in the sky. And the markers, especially because it's a night shot, they basically light up the road. The imaginary or the, the imaginary, the invisible roads that it is, you know, the sky lanes. And there's also, uh, there was also a big sign, I guess, which is supposed to be like a turnoff lane. And it said something like, I think it said something like London or Philadelphia or something. I forget which, which cities, but it's kind of like, oh wow. It's, it's, it's also, you know, signs are being put up in the, in the air. So you know where to go, kind of like you would on a highway. So that was an interesting concept of trying to figure out, okay, so in this particular world, more cars, and and there is some kind of a highway system in the sky. A different example of how this is portrayed could best be found in the movie, The Fifth Element. If you guys remember, that's the Bruce Willis film. Futuristic, specifically, the flying car sequences take place in New York, in a future New York, which is a perfect environment as an example here for this. What makes this different than Blade Runner, for example, is that, first of all, it's practically all CGI. When you see the cars flying in, they're all CGI. You do have the interior shots of, you know, the act in a set of the inside of the cab and maybe the outside of the cab. But the traffic sequences, just like most other films, if you think about it, especially ones we're going to talk about in a few minutes, it involves some sort of a chase sequence, or a very fast action-y kind of sequence. You're going to see this on Total Recall. You're going to see it on Attack of the Clones. You know, like I said, we're going to get into that. But in this particular case, what's really interesting is that they throw you right in a metropolitan area, an ideal worst-case scenario kind of metropolitan area. What makes this a little less realistic than Blade Runner is that it's all CGI. So... CGI effects get dated. They sometimes don't hold up as well. And in this particular case, you can tell that every time you're watching these wide angle panoramic cityscapes with all these cars flying around, yeah, you're you're now clicking over to the CGI world. But with that said, that's not the point of this. The point of this is that we're trying to figure out how did they depict, you know, traffic well, you definitely have traffic here. With Blade Runner, you had a, a very limited amount of air traffic. Here you have a complete city traffic. You know, the, the, the kind of traffic you see today, you have it here. To the extent where, you know, these buildings are so tall that there's like bridges connecting buildings in multi-levels. And there appear to be so many air roads Weaving in and out. Now, granted, this could be very specific to New York. The fact that New York, especially this future New York, has such high skyscrapers everywhere, completely everywhere, that the roads really kind of make themselves. The roads are basically the overlays of the already existing ground roads. So that's kind of how probably this is determined, and the reason I say this is is because you don't see any markers. There are no floating markers anywhere. So, like, they attempted to give you a taste of it in in Back to the Future 2, for example. Here, there are no markers. Now, granted, it could be because the specific story takes place in New York, and, you know, you're not seeing a, a more open area to see how things behave, but you do get to see, you know, what happens when a car deviates from these roads and goes into these side streets, if you will? Now, the unrealistic aspect of the cars in this movie goes way beyond reality, obviously. this is a this is a sci-fi film, but it's it's bordering on fantasy, a different kind of fantasy than Star Wars. But what I'm talking about in this because these sequences, the majority of these sequences are about a chase scene. Cops and robbers, or cops and taxi driver uh, chase sequence. The, you know, the the taxi cab gets shot up, and it still continues to to function normally. An actress falls through the roof of the car into the inside of the car. You know, this this cab seems to be a high, super military grade quality car. So, again, it's hard to pull the the what could be considered the the reality or the conceivable or the plausible aspects of the technology they're trying to show you from the ridiculous action-y type of stuff. The diversity of vehicles, it's excellent here because you have everything. You have all kinds of vehicles. So at least it's giving you a, a bridge, if you will, of what it could look like. This, this almost reminded me a little bit more of going into the Jetsons, where you do have mass cities you know, with this kind of um, ability. And we'll get a a different taste of it, like I said before, when we go to uh, Attack of the Clones. What's important here to note is the fact that the way that traffic stays in its lanes is basically by staying through the buildings. The buildings pretty much generate the lanes, the boundaries, just like they do in the ground level. Here, their buildings are generating the only available space, to drive through or to fly through in this particular example. And thereby also creating all these multi-level sections where, you know, if a building is 100 stories high, you might have, you know, 10 or 12 or 15 different levels of cars zipping by at different altitudes, you know, staying within their, their range. I mean, granted, in the streets, I'm sure you still have uh, street lights, <laughs> but I, I I didn't see any any lights up in the in the sky. I didn't see any lights, you know, in the higher altitude areas. So while you could conceivably say, well, that's how it works, you know, for for how do you keep your cars within certain areas? It doesn't explain, you know, is it basically stop signs? I even see stop signs. <laughs> Yeah, it's left. I guess it's left up to the how polite society is. And by watching the film, they're not very polite. You know, the same level. There, there's a sequence where the car has to go from a high level to a low level, and he's just dodging vehicles left and right. Uh, which, yeah, you're like, wow, that's how it's done. It's very dangerous. But you know, again, you you can't really question these movies. At least these movies give you an idea or an example of how it could work. It doesn't answer all the questions, but at least it gives you enough inspiration for you to then jump off and figure out, well, if we did this for real, how would it work? So that's kind of neat. Another movie that you could look at for this kind of futurism is Total Recall. And I'm talking about the 2012 version of Total Recall, which is not the most popular of the two, obviously. This is the remake. And one of the things they incorporated into this movie is flying vehicles. But not only are they fly, are they capable of flight, but it almost seems that they're more kind of hovering vehicles. There are certain shots where the the hover car just I don't want to say free falls, but kind of floats from a very high area to a very low area. But for a majority of these chase sequences that we're watching in the in the movie. They're just hovering. They're hovering above, you know, I don't know, six feet above the ground. Now, it is possible that the reason that they decided to go that way for this particular film is because they wanted to use practical effects as much as possible. So they wanted real actors in real vehicles simulating hovering above the ground. In other words, if you were going to have a completely, you know... 300 meters up in the air kind of chase sequence that would have been done cgi like in the fifth element and and it would have been either that or a green screen or a blue screen or something like that but in this particular case because they wanted to have the realism of being kind of close to the ground so it kind of looks like It's real, it's really real, the environments that you're interacting with. And it's really fascinating. If you look at some of the behind the scenes making of how they designed a vehicle that has another vehicle on top so that the the stuntman is riding the car, but the actors are on the secondary car on top. And then through CGI, they erase the stuntman car so that it does look like the car on top is the one making all the driving decisions, let's say. Now, what's interesting about this particular concept is that you, you are talking about a hovering, like I said before, it's more of a hovering vehicle. If you will, if you remember Star Wars, if you remember the Landspeeder, the Landspeeder is a hovering kind of vehicle. The only advantage, I, I guess, that you can get get from a vehicle of that sort is that it is capable of behaving like a car in very rough terrain. And obviously, Tatooine is supposed to be a very rough terrain, so you don't have smooth surfaces where you can have a vehicle with wheels to just calmly and gently and efficiently roll around in. So that's why you get the concept of hovering. You hover, which means you can then achieve those same speeds, you don't have the friction that would then destroy your tires or whatever mechanism you have of moving around. So this is an interesting one also to be able to adapt to another film or another concept of the flying car concept. The flying car concept also, I think, even in um, Total Recall, uh, you might have some interactions with cars that are on tracks, like track cars, and that goes also more to the the futuristic idea of, for example, Minority Report, where you have these cars that are on tracks and they're automated cars. Uh, you know that that you can kind of say is in the direction where we might be heading. More likely in realistic terms these days, electric cars, cars that drive themselves, for example, not just electric, but drive themselves. Where you just get in the car and then, you know, it takes you to where you want to go and you're, you know, you're reading your newspaper or whatever you're doing. Then when you get there, okay, you're here. Okay, thank you. You know, that kind of thing. Self-driving autonomous vehicles, that sort of thing. But that's a whole other world. But it's another interesting Again, futuristic world that I think Total Recall kind of dabbled on a little bit. Again, my whole thing here is I'm talking about the reality or the possibility of how these flying cars would function. Now, if you want to go a little further in, dare I say, sci-fi, even though I'm talking about fantasy because it's Star Wars. If you look at, for example, Phantom Menace, especially Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, while we're in the world of Coruscant... We do get a lot of examples of what a speeder, not a land speeder, but a speeder, an air speeder world would look like. You know, Coruscant is supposed to be a very metropolitan area. You know, it's it's 100% city. Buildings, concrete, steel. Boom, there you have it. And into the design of how this city functions... Throughout the movies, you do get to see these rows and rows of vehicles, of traffic, which is very interesting. I find very interesting. And and trying to figure out, well, how does that work? How does all that function? The first and last film, I would say, you kind of see it in the background. So you kind of see that there is some sort of organized traffic pattern, if you will. And this being... Coruscant, which is like the biggest metropolitan world in, in the galaxy or whatever, there's a lot of people, a lot of people. And it looks as if there's a lot of traffic. Now, granted, you might also have a similar situation where in khorasan for example you do have your own politics and social structure you know the lower you are on the social ladder the lower levels that you're going to be living in to certain points where you're practically living underground in underground cities but the higher up people it is understood are the more politically affluent the more wealthy the more rich you know and those you figure are the ones that are you're, you're watching all this traffic taking place flying vehicles and not necessarily spaceships, but within the atmosphere of flying vehicles for Star Wars is nothing new. You have your land speeder. You have your your biker scout. Remember the bike? It hovers. It's a hovering bike. It can go pretty high. I don't know if that's recommended. Again, I don't know the technology. But it is capable of that kind of function. The Desert Skiff. You know, remember the deserts, the Java skiffs? Those are all hovering kind of vehicles. Same thing with the smaller skiffs. Not sure if they're really capable of reaching really high, high atmospheric kind of limits but for for the film purposes at least for story purposes they kind of just hover they're like 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 little boats basically there's the it's a sailing boat except it doesn't go on water it hovers in the air so that's interesting so you you know that technology is there but for current purposes when you watch attack of the clones that's when you'll get the best example of heavy traffic and Air highways, if you will, tunnels. Very similar to Fifth Element, except it's a more fantastical setting because it is Star Wars. It is less, you know, New York realistic, but it becomes more sci-fi fantastical. One difference uh, that I noticed is that where in the Fifth Element, you can kind of say that everything is guided by the height of the buildings and the narrowness between buildings which naturally creates these air lanes. In Attack of the Clones, you have that if you are pretty low, if you're flying pretty low, but the higher you fly, the more that the higher levels seem to open up as far as space goes in the sky. So people are capable of flying in much wider areas than in a very narrow New York City congested type of field that you do get with the fifth element in attack of the clones you do have what appears to be a little more space a little less congestion less chance of bumping or hitting a structure you know as opposed to the fifth element but yeah for coruscant you know the 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 more i watch that whole sequence i don't see any real markers uh in terms of like they did with back to the future 2. It's almost as if these vehicles, they, the drivers either know where the roads are, the designated lanes, or it's some kind of electronic thing built into your vehicle that it knows where these invisible lanes where you're supposed to adhere to are. Uh, there are sequences where the, the vehicles fly into a building that seems to have a tunnel, uh, I guess, for accessing one area to the other. You know, to get in from one side of the building to the other side of the building. And there do seem to be what could be considered either road signs for traveling purposes or advertisements. That's hard to say because they're using a different language and different symbols. So you can't even tell what they're talking about. You would have to figure out the to English translation of what these signs say. But... Yes, it's a different animal, and, and it's an interesting one. It's an interesting concept. Okay, that's a, that's even more futuristic, you know, that you, you, you would have something so built in that it wouldn't require designating lanes, for example. And you do see tons of different kind of vehicles, small and large, and transportation, and, you know... Uh, emergency you know you name it if you watch the uh, animated clone war series and some of the other star wars animated they go deeper and deeper into how extensive you know this whole uh, thing works but again for the sake of our examination of movies this is where it started as far as star wars goes so there you have a couple of different examples of at least in a in a modern movie concept how this works with flying cars so the question then becomes well let's say for the sake of argument that the flying cars were coming and i'm not talking about the technology of how the flying car would work because that's a whole other show which i don't have the technological knowledge to tell you how it works because if i did then they would be here but Assuming these cars function and work that way, whether it's something that looks like uh, a spinner from Blade Runner or or, or a typical back-to-the-future vehicle that hovers and floats, a metropolitan vehicle from the fifth element, something from Total Recall, or even something as crazy, fantasy, futuristic as as a Star Wars vehicle. If tomorrow you had to now create an entire infrastructure of alternative roads of air roads if you will uh, how would they function and and we're talking about yeah you can first start off with the concept of Blade Runner and that is well we'll start off with emergency vehicles let's see how they kind of navigate the world because the first problem that you would have is we already have air vehicles we already have planes now granted planes fly in a much much higher altitude than anything else that you might find near you, whether it's a helicopter or a drone, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, and and it's funny, speaking of drones, that is one of the things that is happening now is that the proliferation of drone, you know, as a consumer vehicle and, and possibly a commercial vehicle coming soon, you know, companies like Amazon are saying they're going to start delivering by drone. I don't know if that could ever happen in a mass scale, but that's whole, that's a whole other subject. But You currently do have a low kind of altitude air traffic that you have to worry about. Like I said, helicopters and drones and also planes that are landing. You know, the planes do travel at a very high altitude. However, once they get close to that airport, they got to start getting closer and closer to the ground. So, yeah... Let's say, for example, emergency vehicles are the first ones. Can air traffic control, the existing air traffic control system that we have right now, handle an influx of emergency vehicles? Interesting. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you would have to create an entire bigger, you know, department uh, for air traffic control or a completely separate department to deal with emergency vehicles and commercial vehicles, you know, that kind of thing. You would have your cop cars, your fire department vehicles, your EMS, you know, all those emergency kind of vehicles. So that's an interesting concept to start with. And you would figure that would be the easy one. The more difficult one is what happens when you go full tilt? What happens when you go into a city or a town? And the city is the best example because that's your worst case scenario. Picture the most congested cities as far as traffic goes. You're Los Angeles. You're, um, I think Atlanta is very congested. New York, you know, internationally. Obviously, you've got all kinds of cities in, in London and Asia and all over the place where traffic is insane sometimes. But let's just take, for example, something like a New York or a California or, or a Los Angeles. That, I think, you're now teetering more on something like the fifth element or even Blade Runner, but more like Attack of the Clones, because in Blade Runner, we didn't have mass, mass traffic up there. So one idea is to, yeah, you would have to designate air roads. And how do you designate air roads? Well, in in Back to the Future 2, you got to have these floating markers. How do these floating markers stay up in the air? Well, you could kind of say, if we are going to give the theory a free pass on the fact that we have the technology to have flying cars then we have to give the technology a pass that we have the ability to have floating markers you know powered floating markers okay that that could be one way of doing it it would be insanely i think expensive and mass-produced on top of all these flying cars you would then have to produce these flying markers and then People would be driving in multi-levels of these air lanes, if you will. But the thing about the air lanes, this is something that I noticed even as far back as the fifth element, Attack of the Clones or even Phantom Menace, is that not only do you have single lanes of traffic, you have multi-lanes of traffic. Like right now, our idea of a multi-lane traffic situation is where you have two, three, four lanes, But we're talking about air here. So you're talking about two, three, four lanes and then two, three, four more lanes on top or on the bottom. So it's a three-dimensional, or is it four-dimensional, layers of traffic. Really, really interesting how that would work. And you would say to yourself, well, how do you change lanes vertically? How would you change from one lane vertically to another lane vertically? How would that safely work? How do you create a spot to be able to move from one to the other. You know, that's that's really interesting to think about that. could Again, do you throw it at the technology end of the argument in terms of, well, technology would figure that out. Technology would let the other cars know that you are intent, your intent to switch lanes and the other cars will either automatically or by your own choosing, let you get in that lane. In other words, how autonomous or non-autonomous are these new vehicles? I don't know. Are they completely independent or does that level of coordination between all these flying vehicles require some kind of autonomous system so they can all talk to each other and share the road, if you will, you know, in a peaceful, safe manner. Very, very interesting. The other question that comes to mind, and again... In Star Wars, it's a city. It's very organized, and there's definite routes that are there. We do see Anakin and Obi Wan chasing the uh, the bounty hunter or the the, uh, the assassin, and they go kind of off road, if we will, into an area that is not a designated like vehicle lane. They're going past these older areas that are like abandoned or factory areas or whatever, and they're skimming over other buildings. So you know they're kind of they're they're going off road. They're going off the designated roads. So the question becomes, does the system, would this system allow you to go off roads? Would the system force you to stay within the confines of what is designated to be an air road? That's very interesting because you think, you know what, I have an air car. Instead of me driving, you know, hundred miles north and then a hundred miles west I'm just going to take the triangle. I'm going to cut through the, you know, instead of making up and left, I'm going to go to the side. So I don't know if I'm saving any road, if I'm sp- saving any time, but I don't want to drive through the road. I want to take a shortcut, if you will. Would that be allowed or would you be allowed to to fly over areas that are not designated as roads? What kind of problems does that create? Well, do you want all of a sudden overnight to have cars flying cars zooming over your house, where normally you wouldn't have traffic zooming over your house because you might live a mile away from the highway and you never hear cars because you're so far away from the highway. But now all of a sudden, by people not obeying the rules of the road, the air roads, now you got traffic on top of your house. So that would create, I think, a backlash of people that do not want to hear or see these vehicles zipping through the air near them the other problem that again how do we address the issue of breaking down or car accidents your car breaks down on the road you pull over to the side and wait for somebody to help your car breaks down in the air and odds are it's gonna come plummeting down (laughs) on something so are these air roads the designated locations where if something breaks down it will break down around a certain you know area where it's kind of safe to break down to safe to crash down if you have again that other alternative situation where people are just zipping and cutting through people's properties up in the air and they break down you might have these air cars crashing into homes right through the roof into buildings you know whatever so that's something that you could kind of say, well, we can work that out through technology. In other words, are these cars so unbelievably safe and efficient that they have the technology not to crash down in a destructive manner? Would a air car have the ability that if it breaks down... It just doesn't come plummeting down at 100 miles an hour to a fiery death. It just kind of floats and hovers, hovers, and then it kind of plops on top of something. Now, what if that something is your child? (laughs) That's a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. That's a big problem. But again, uh, this is the type of thing that you have to creatively think so much of what could go wrong or what, what are the possible scenarios that, Maybe somebody never thought of, you know, that kind of thing. What happens if you're dealing with a police chase, you know, where a car could be damaged so bad that it would lose all of these safety precautions and just completely crash into something? Um, what somebody that I, I was talking to also suggested is that, yeah, if you kind of designate the air roads to be around the same footprint, of the existing roads, then that's a way of kind of staying away from populated areas, you know, homes and buildings and that sort of thing. You kind of stay within the confines of the road, except you're kind of up in the air doing it. Yeah, that's a possibility. That could sort of maybe work. The downside to that it is that it, you're, you're kind of, once again, limited to the same footprint, that you were used to before. So if there are areas where you had to kind of drive around a big area just because they they didn't build any roads and you had to kind of go around it, technically now you can cut right through it. But because of safety precautions, you might not be able to do that. So that's an interesting, again, that's another interesting weird little quirk of how this would work. You could also say, if you want to throw it on, the technological answer, the, the technological you know, MacGuffin of, well, we don't have markers. We don't need markers. Let's say markers are a little too unrealistic, like a a flying car is not unrealistic, but hey, let's just go with it for a little bit. Let's say the markers are a little too unrealistic to produce that many markers and to maintain that many markers and to keep them up in the air and functional and they light up at night and they don't light up, you know, during the day, whatever. How would the car know? Well, maybe it's kind of like Attack of the Clones. The cars have an in, a built-in computer that will give you a digital display that shows you that you're within a marker, an invisible marker, a virtual marker, if you will, and a virtual road. And in your monitor, you see the virtual road you're traveling on, and you're staying on it, or the computer is flying within that virtual road. But in reality, you look out the window, and there's nothing there. So that that would be an interesting one too. That device would also be what tells you where you're at. Because again, if you're not putting markers, does that mean you're not putting signs? So you need signs. I mean, how do you know where you're at? Granted, today we use GPS for everything, but still you can't assume that everybody has a functional GPS or any GPS. So you still have road signs on highways for people to read and see. So yeah, that's interesting too. Would you have to have some kind of road sign up in the air or would you rely entirely on virtual information coming out of your car? Now, as I mentioned earlier, the issue of technology and power, I have no clue. I don't know what these things would be powered by, (laughs) Would it, would they be electric, charged, uh, nuclear, some kind of new technology we don't even know about? I have no clue, because that's a very, very difficult question to answer. But at least the concept of how it would work kind of is really interesting. Now, a couple of other problems with this entire system is weather. You know, we've seen how difficult it is for planes to land sometimes on bad weather, whether it's rain or snow or whatever, high winds, you know. That would play a very high role in all this too. Could air traffic be completely grounded because of a bad storm? Yeah, that's very possible. Would traveling at certain heights, so close to the clouds, or maybe a little lower below clouds, you know, Attack of the Clones, from what I remember, I don't think they're within cloud cover. I could be wrong. I don't remember exactly, but it seems like they're just zipping through buildings. So the height is not crazy cloud level, height but and back to the future too yeah they're 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 in the they materialize like right in the middle of like a lightning storm and wind and everything so they're they're flying pretty high so that's another thing that would have to be considered how high to make it so that you don't get too dangerously close to clouds lightning or whatever or completely zero i mean when you're dealing with clouds zero visibility Zero, absolute zero. That's when the ability of your car, you know, to buy GPS or radar or whatever, be able to tell you where you're at. You know, granted, you know, planes nowadays have air traffic control to help them navigate and not only their own computers and everything and then, you know, all kinds of markers everywhere to kind of tell them where they are. But would we have, would a, a driver have that much... Backup or assets that would help them that are not necessarily built into their car, but some kind of air traffic control assistance when it comes to that sort of thing. You would also have to obviously stay away from any kind of air lanes, air landing or takeoff lanes because that's airport territory. And then we talked about drones before. Yeah, with drones, you would then have to really clamp down on drone usage or... Or try to designate a different level of drone height restrictions. Because you don't want these drones crashing into cars. You know, that would be, again, very difficult. But that's generally the the biggest problems, if you will. Or the biggest things to have to figure out behind the theory. Not the practicality, but the theory of would it work and how would it work. You know, how many times have you been sitting in traffic waiting for a light to change in the corner where there's an accident or something happens and you're just sitting there, sitting there and going, you know what? I wish I could just flick a button here and all of a sudden my car would just start hovering up in the air. I could tilt to the left and just instead of going to the corner and making a left turn, I can just make a left right here and just avoid that bottleneck, that mess in that corner and just head in my direction. And it's a really creatively attractive. Visually, we've seen enough movies, ways of thinking of, yeah, that would be so cool if you can just, all of a sudden, you're hovering over the top of some stores, homes, open fields, and then you come close to where your actual destination is at, and you just kind of work your way to the parking lot and land right on an empty spot, right off the air. Wouldn't that be just completely amazing? Another thing that I just thought of in that process is, oh, my God, power lines. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, power lines would also be a huge, huge problem. Uh, That's assuming that in this particular world we're dealing with, we still have open power lines going, you know, from pole to pole type of situation. So that's another um, uh, wrinkle to have to think about. If, obviously, in this futuristic world, there are no more power li- above ground power lines, everything's underground, then that's not a problem. But, yeah, that that's even more reason why you would have to stick to a pre-designated lane, uh, because you never know when you might run into a power line uh, right in the middle of it or something. Which, again, with drones nowadays, that could be a problem already, um, but... Um, even with uh, like helicopters or low flying planes, you know they, they they do still have to look out for that sort of thing, especially in very like open field rural you know rural areas and that sort of thing where um, they are they are super high. Some I've seen some of these power lines that are very very high up in the air, and you figure, yeah, you got a low enough uh, current flying vehicle, and they could they could they could hit those, and I'm sure they've had in the past. That's why a lot of times when you see these huge power lines, there's like these uh, red plastic balls attached to them, and you're like, "What the hell is the point of that?" Well, I think that's the point of that is to be able to see it um, from kind of far away if you are flying some kind of helicopter or low flying flying plane, uh, so you don't ram into it. And obviously at night they try, you know, they, I know they put lights on some of these towers, but all of a sudden there is cables connecting these towers that you never see. And yet, my God, flying a hover car at night in an undesignated area, you could run into a lot of potential, you know, high power lines or towers or things that are not very well visible that they don't really care too much in terms of planes because the planes are flying so much higher. But all of a sudden, you know, with a vehicle like this, And having so many of them out there, it would create just another obstacle for them to have to deal with. So that's, yeah, that's another interesting one. So anyway, like I said, there's tons and tons of examples, but it's really interesting, I think, to kind of sit down and kind of try to work out some of the major issues of how such a structure, a system of flying cars would work. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. We took a fantasy trip into the world of flying cars. Don't know if I'll ever see one. Don't know if you'll ever get to see one, but I think we have enough information out there to kind of put together what it would look like, you know, if it did one day happen. From big cities to more rural areas, you know, what are the rules of how these things would function? And we have great examples, obviously from sci-fi films. So, on behalf of everybody here, thanks for listening, and we will see you soon here at GeekFest France. Bye-bye, everybody. I gotta check this out, Doc. Look what happens to your son. Oh, he's a complete wimp. Don't talk to anyone. You've been looking, Pop. Hey, look. no. Don't touch anything. I need to borrow your hoverboard. And try not to look at anything i didn't invent the time machine to win at gambling i can't lose i invented a time machine to travel through time hey doc i'm all for that what's we'll wrong with making a few bucks on the side no the time continuum has been disrupted creating an alternate 1985 there have been a few changes it's like we're in hell or something. No, it's Hill Valley, although I can't imagine. Hell being much worse. But they'll all be back. Eat less, slackers! Biff? Hello? Hello, anybody home? Mom, they can't be you. You're so. big. Michael J. Fox. Christopher Lloyd. I Michael J. Fox. we well, like a couple of teenagers, you know? And Michael J. Fox. Mom, is that you? Steven Spielberg presents a Robert Zemeckis film, Back to the Future, to get back in time. Part 2. Coming November 22nd to Theaters Everywhere.